Hey everyone, welcome to Teacher Quit Talk, the early episodes. I'm Fraz and I'm here to offer a warning. You are about to enter into an episode before we had microphones, a producer, or a solid format. I'm not saying that our early episodes lack value. They all hold a very special place in our hearts and they laid the foundation for what Teacher Quit Talk has become today. However, we believe that by starting with our latest releases, you'll get the best representation of the pod. Thank you for your understanding and patience with these early episodes and the tech hiccups and thank you for being part of our incredible community. We appreciate your support and we'll continue striving to bring you the best listening experience possible. So without further ado, bye-bye, have fun, we love you, here we go. M-S-W Media. Hi, I'm Frances Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of The Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay. Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. Welcome back to Teacher Quit Talk, where we're living, we're laughing, and we're learning, but no one on this episode is teaching in the traditional sense. Yeah. I'm Frost. I'm Redacted. And, and I'm Miss R. Hi. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks for being with us. Honestly, this is exciting. You're a hot topic right now. Happy to have you. <laughs> yeah, 16 million people have seen me get fired. Nothing like that number for you. But you know, the the great thing about 16 million people seeing you get fired is those are 16 million less people you have to tell. So oh, yeah. if you come across someone, they probably already know. Oh, yeah. So you were just working with max efficiency. Mm-hmm. That's how all of my family found out. I just went super viral. And then everybody was like, are you okay? And I was like, You're like I guess. did it for the gram. You know, did it for the FYP. I'm great. I did not do it for that. Actually, I don't think I would have posted it had, like, on my way out, a certain person not said, if you really care about the school, you'll keep this quiet. And then I was like, okay. Oh, same boat. I would have done the same thing. I was also, I was like, I'm going to go with grace, like, peace and love to everyone. And then I got called in a meeting where, like, five grown people told me how terrible I've been doing for two years, but apparently never felt the need to bring it up before now. And then literally I was like, yeah, this is going online. I was like, this is, this is going online. <laughs> well, I think the older generation doesn't understand what the internet is and how it gives everyone a voice regardless of their status. So it doesn't matter what status I held there. I am a mentor to thousands of people online Mm -hmm. and that in itself holds status. And so it's just like on them for not understanding how social media works. Yeah. Tell us a little about yourself. So you were teaching, you are now no longer in the classroom. Tell us a little about how you got to the classroom and what happened after that. On the off chance that somebody that didn't see the video is here with us. Starting to feel like a fat chance at that point, but we'll recap it anyways. (laughs) So I come from a line of teachers essentially my mom is a still a second grade teacher she's an absolutely amazing teacher 
and I spent a ton of time in her classroom growing up because my parents were separated. And so the way our schedules aligned, she wasn't always off, but she could always take me. So I was helping out in a second grade class from probably the time I was in second grade on. I knew I wanted to be a teacher because of the community that she created within her classroom. It always felt like she had this whole family there at school. She received probably more hugs than any other human I had ever met. And when it was the weekend, we were like going to their ball games and we were going to support those students. And she's consistently been a part of their lives as they continued to grow. And so I always knew I wanted that. My dad was actually super against it, which led me to get my undergrad in integrative physiology and then eventually be like, you know what? I'm going to go teach. I need to gain like 30 IQ points. So what is in integrated physiology? Super fair. So it's everything (laughs) body and brain. So I studied a lot of like neuroscience and psychology, but I also studied a lot about like diet and exercise and muscle groups, which is why it links into SEL so perfectly because part of social emotional learning is taking care of our body and brains so that we can bring our best selves forth. But I digress. Eventually I decided I wanted to be a teacher. I knew it was going to be super expensive to go that route. So I moved to the middle of nowhere Kansas, Pittsburgh, Kansas, no H. And I got my master's there while working for a school in Riverton, Kansas, a town that only had one stoplight in the very southeast corner of Kansas. Often called the most beautiful corner of Kansas is the southeast (laughs) corner. Actually, I think it's really pretty. See? It was culture shock because I went from Boulder to there. But the sky in Kansas, Kansas skies are absolutely amazing. They're so big. You know that graph from How I Met Your Mother where it's like, oh, if a girl is gonna be crazy she has to be hot I feel like that's nature and population like the lower the population the more beautiful the nature and as the population (laughs) grows the nature just gets less appealing it's replaced by concrete which is confusing (laughs) Riverton was a trip I was in complete culture shock and then I was pretty much just thrown the keys to the classroom and I swear nobody ever checked on me and I hadn't even really taken a teaching course yet I kind of just fed on what I saw my mom do you take the kid that is the most difficult to love and you very visibly and verbally come up with ways that you love them and reasons that they should love themselves and that others should love them. In doing that, when you choose to continue to give them the benefit of the doubt, massive transformation happens. I also had an amazing therapist in college and she taught me these things called breathe breaks where I would take five deep breaths and I would focus on different sensations within each breath. And I knew the kids in Kansas had very little experience with mindfulness. So like day one, I had a timer on my phone that went off 20 minutes into class so that we could just take a breathe break and breathe together. As I continued to get my master's, that's when I learned about Maslow and Bloom. So Maslow's hierarchy of needs is like your basic needs of shelter, safety, food, all of those have to be met in order for you to actually bloom or meet your full potential of competencies. And that's where I started incorporating a lot of SEL. COVID hit, Kansas got wicked sketchy. I hightailed it back home to my dad's house in Colorado and they had a marketing business. And so I took a year off and I helped work that business through the pandemic and then started at the charter school that I worked at. Worked there for a full year. I started my TikTok last February. I was featured on Good Morning America.
America, and it kind of like blew up over summer. I started talking at universities because I was leading the ICL program at my school also, which was different from the many lessons that I was doing with my students. My students would come to me and they'd say, Miss Laura, the lessons, they aren't very good. And I'd say, okay, okay, tell me why. And they're like, well, people just aren't getting very into them. So I go to admin and their first response is, they're just not doing it because they're lazy. So I have a meeting with them and I'm like, look, we are in a mental health pandemic. Our kids need social emotional learning more than ever. They need to understand coping skills and we need to be promoting mental health like nobody's business because suicide rates in the district are on the rise. It is needed for our population. The teachers were like semi-receptive, but I could tell that still some were frustrated. So I kept digging. Well, on the day that they're supposed to deliver the lesson, they don't get a single break. And if they have lunch duty, they don't get a break all day, like all day, which I don't know how teachers got left out. But for some reason, like every other industry gets a break in their day. But teachers just are expected to never use the bathroom. We're threatened with lawsuits if we ever leave the children unattended to hit our basic needs. So we could literally have to poo ourselves to avoid a lawsuit because people act like they have time to come and relieve you. They don't. Schools are so understaffed. I think that people are out of touch with how understaffed schools are right now and the amount of pressure that that's putting on everyone. And what's terrifying is like what's going on in Florida is like semi-martial law status. But once we get to a point where we can no longer staff classrooms, which we are already there, we're already not hitting IEP and 504 accommodations across the board, Mm -hmm. but not out of laziness. It's out of simply not having the time to do it and teachers being humans also. We're told that we're superhumans, but then when it comes to being humans, we're not supposed to be that. Mm -hmm. And then I was just like very much forced out. There was a lot of teachers who were feeling the same way. So I tried to raise the red flag and be like, I'm thinking of applying other places. And that just like totally backfired. I don't suggest anybody say those words to anybody ever. They took it as a resignation. And then they told me they posted my job. They claimed that it wasn't my job at first, but then they went and told all the teachers that it was my job. I tried to fight it. I begged to stay. And they're like, no, it's just not looking like it's a good fit. So then I like told the kids like, hey, it's looking like I might get let go. And they cited that as the reason for letting me go. And they came and got me randomly one day on my plan, told me to hand in everything I owned, did not allow me to return to my classroom to get my personal belongings and escorted me out of the school. I had no idea that I was resigning. And in my HR file, it says that I resigned. Luckily, my mom flew in town and I have the most supportive partner ever, Cody. He's amazing. They came in that Saturday because they told me I could come get my stuff Saturday at 8 a.m. My students met me in the parking lot next to the school to walk me up to the school to get a chance to like say goodbye. I warned them, thank God, but I didn't get to say goodbye to them. All of admin was there. Almost all of the board was there, which I'm pretty sure is illegal. They said, we pre-packed your stuff. You need to get this over with as soon as possible. They touched your things? Yeah. No. They pre-packed all of it. Of course, they didn't know what was my things. They also tried to take stuff that was donations for the kids. They like didn't want the kids to have it at first. And I was like, no, this was specifically like sent for them. I'm not taking it. And anytime that Cody left the room, my principal was like, you need to hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. My mom even said, you need to stop. And I had to be like, you need to back off, sir. It was just like so much trauma was inflicted. I'm also shook that like, okay, y'all never have time for anything, but suddenly we're all free at 8 a.m. on a Saturday to come harass me as I try to remove my items in a professional manner. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, when I needed to go to the bathroom, no one was to be found. Mm -hmm. Yet somehow now we're all available. And also side note, because you mentioned Florida so many times, I have seen entire classrooms of 
unattended children for hours upon hours upon hours. What? I have seen children alone in a room, no sub, no security, nothing. And people don't believe me. I was like, I tell people this. High school? No one, yeah, no one believes me. Yeah. I was talking to my friend who still works in public schools in Florida and she was like, yeah, there's a class that sits next door to me, no teacher every single day. She was like, yep. I go in and leave the door open so that I can hear if something happens. But she was like, they're alone. What are they doing? Most of them on their phones, sleeping or doing work for other class. A lot of kids when they're in that scenario, like I would have kids that would be like, oh, my teacher's not here and I don't have any subs. So can I sit in here? They'll go to another teacher's room to sit and do their work. But I have seen many times where there's 20 plus unattended teenagers 100% alone in a classroom, which is so illegal. Yeah. Once parents find out, I can only think that the National Guard is the only people that are going to fill that gap. And that's the part of the exodus that nobody's talking about. Who watches the children? Look at Florida right now. It already looks like Orwell. And now we're going to add in that anybody who is in the military can just come and teach. The real gag is they're not signing up though. Right. There's not that many of them. Who would? They're like, we don't want to do that. Yeah. They're like, ooh, immediately no. Yes. They're like, that's the war over there. Yeah. Go ahead and deploy me. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. It's insane. Miss <laughs> R, how old are your students? They were middle school. So I taught middle fifth school. and seventh grade. Except for when I was at Riverton, I like Mr. Feeding them. I had the same kids for sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Oh my gosh. Aww. No wonder they loved you. There's how long no were cool. you at this school that you just got fired from? It was my second year. I mean, if they put resigned on your HR file, maybe if they haven't seen the video, you'll just be like, yeah, I resigned. I wasn't fired. Because it's not on your credential. I don't think I can mentally go back and like bond with another set of kids like that yeah, yeah that was yeah trauma and i i'm not trying to be dramatic but no like, i was really close with those kids yeah. and i didn't want to leave and when did this occur three weeks ago oh, so that's fresh trauma oh yeah that's just awful the way they handled everything was wrong and hurtful and traumatic i mean to rush you to escort you i mean it's like they did a perp walk with you like you're yeah. a criminal or something like what the hell yeah i had the similar thing where i got yelled at that incident happened and I went and told like a veteran teacher about it and they were like I'm not telling you this because I think you've done anything wrong or I'm trying to scare you but just know that the second you leave this campus they will go in your room and try and find something to get you in trouble so if you have anything in your room that could get you in trouble put it in your desk he was like if you have a pack of cigarettes if you have anything make sure it's in your purse not in your desk and I don't know if they ever went in there but like it gets very like narcos vibes where like they're starting to walk you out with the boxes and like sure. oh we're gonna search your stuff now when it like it just never needed to be taken to that place because yeah my computer was being spied on because it gave me like the notification even though I own my laptop <laughs> not them telling on themselves on your personally owned laptop with the notification yeah <laughs> good morning they're so embarrassing yeah. they can't do anything right <laughs> it just seems so weird that the school was like so gone ho about student emotion and then they literally sent an email to parents saying that there's mental health support available since they yanked me out of their child's life. If your child needs mental health support, it's probably the wrong decision. Also the way they handled it. Like I feel that that is traumatic to students as well to witness. Yeah. To see your principal acting like that when your teacher, another authority figure, is leaving the school. That's very traumatic too. Yeah. Yeah. That's really gonna fuck them up in terms of what's normal in a workplace. Yeah. Yeah. and adult interactions and what's healthy. <laughs> yeah, like, and nobody talks about that. How old were your coworkers? It 
varied. Okay, so it was like a mix. Mm -hmm. I was at a school last year where the demographic of teachers was veteran, very decades of veteran. Mm. They had been marinating in the U.S. education system for a while. Yeah, they were like pissed because the new principal wanted to bring in positive reinforcement, PBIS, and you know, bless them, they didn't they didn't really know what to do with themselves. They were like, when I scream at the kids, they're literally crying. Could you please yeah, enlighten hello. me as to what the fuck is going on? Yeah, that's why they hired me. So the co-workers that I had were very stuck in, shall I say, the 90s, and they they were disappointed that they could no longer put their hands on children. Even clip charts, I don't have a horse in the clip chart game. I've never taught in an environment where that's age appropriate because all the kids have either been too little or too big for that. Right. But my high schoolers would discuss the trauma of clip charts. Oh yeah, I remember. A lot of them went to elementary together and they'd be like, oh, you were always on red and you never yeah. cared. And then another girl was like, I cried the only mm -hmm. time I was on yellow. And we would yep. talk about their little clip charts and the red kids. I'd be like, yeah, you're, yeah, like I see it. Clip charts are a whole vibe. I just think the hierarchy that currently exists in schools is feeding cyclic poverty in the school to prison pipeline. Oh. Oh, yeah. And we don't talk about how teachers who got into teaching to give kids opportunity are getting burnt out for the sheer fact that they're watching opportunity being just taken away from kids left and right because they don't look like, believe like, dress like, say they are like, whatever the admin deems to be yeah. the most appropriate group. Absolutely. And then you try to incorporate things like SEL, which is a must in my opinion. I mean, relationship building coupled with SEL instruction is huge huge and then you have teachers that don't want to do it they're just like well I would really rather just yell at them and they should just respect me we actually don't have time to be trauma-informed teachers so we're just going to create more trauma <laughs> instead because it'll be faster <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame the teachers that weren't delivering the lessons with rigor because I think that any person who doesn't get a break all day long is not going to deliver any sort of quality lesson no matter how much they care about it or yeah. their basic needs aren't met. So how are we going to expect them to hit the basic needs of other humans? Oh, yeah. I had to tell my coworker across the hall that I was pregnant at four weeks because I was puking and I had to be like, nobody knows this and I'm gonna have to just leave. I can't do that in my classroom. But also, that's illegal, and you're put in a position where you have to choose between humiliating yourself and going against your bodily needs mm -hmm. or breaking the law. Mm -hmm. And then we're looking at teachers like, oh, why don't you want to stay for the kids? I don't know why. It has nothing to do with the kids. You're like, well, one, you've threatened to sue me three times, mm -hmm. so. Right. I think the most frustrating <laughs> thing for me is that I could see what my students needed. Mm -hmm. I knew how to reach them, mm -hmm. but because I had so much on my plate, I could not do it. And that was soul crushing because those of us who want to be in the classroom because we love our students and we love what we do, we're not able to serve them. No. And that's just, I mean, we just talked about this on the episode that came out yesterday. Yeah. I feel like Florida leads the way, and I mean that in the derogatory sense, <laughs> in education, where like kind of the deprofessionalization of teaching, where instead of it being people who are really passionate about the work and the students and it being a career for them, it just being a job with a very high turnover rate. And no shade if you're working a job and it's your job, whatever, but we can all recognize there's a difference between something you want to do long term versus something you want to do short term and kind of making it so bad that people can only 
last for a certain amount of time and the people that can last that don't have that emotional buy-in because you can't last if you have that deep emotional buy-in year and year and year and year after year. So I think it's kind of like contributing to like the revolving door of education of just like people leaving, new people coming in, people leaving, new people coming in and never getting, I think we're gonna get to a point where like the term veteran teacher, what is that? Everyone here worked here, then left, worked here again, then came back. Well, that's already what it was like at my charter. Mm -hmm. I think the most veteran teacher we had was like eight years. Wow. We had a, okay, this was the best part of working there. They rented out half of Universal Studios, open bar, open food, free rides. It was for our teacher of the year ceremony. Y'all hiring? Girl, yes, but come on. <laughs> Be fucking for real, okay? Never a charter. I worked from 7.15 to 4.15 with kindergartners. It was brutal. I'm more of a four-hour day kind of gal. Yeah, hello. <laughs> kids would literally pee their pants to go home regularly. Every single day, I had kids that would pee their pants when they were ready to leave, and their mom would come get Life them. Life hack. If you pee your pants, <laughs> you get to leave school. What were we talking about before this? No, I was saying like the deprofessionalization of teachers and having it be more of a quick to hire, quick to fire job. Oh, we were having this awards ceremony and they gave us wine and charcuterie and we're sitting there like do 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 and they were like, stand up if you're a first year teacher and they would do it all the way up until like 15 years. They had somebody like 20 years, one person stood up and they went, see, it's possible. See that? No. <laughs> That is literally the office. The fact that you went with, look at the 1% odds. I know. And you know what? I had just been working there for two months at this point, And they gave me wine thinking it would like loosen me up and make me fun. It made me highly critical in front of my brand new coworkers. They had six or seven teachers of the year. Basically like an administrator would give a speech on this person. And then at the end of the speech would reveal like the teacher of the year that they're selecting. And every single speech was 99% mastery, 100% mastery. And I was like, they're lying. There's no way in hell. There's no way. And I was like, are they really going to talk about their data every single time? That's bullshit. What about yeah. their relationships? What about their personality? What about, and everybody was like, shut up, shut up. The way that I would give my entire retirement fund for the security tapes of you drunk heckling the teacher of the year awards ceremony at Universal. If anyone listening to this podcast has any connections to security at Universal Studios, please email me immediately. It was so bad, but I mean, anyways, all this to say, the veteran teachers are going to just poof disappear because who wants to work in this environment? Burnout is happening quick because you love it and then you get in it and you're like, oh, everything I love is dead. <laughs> yeah, and then you're spending an hour in your car disassociating. Not to mention what we're doing for veteran teachers, which is no support on technology. No. So if they're past the technology age, mm -hmm. like my mom, she's smart. Like she's a smart woman. But I just think that people older than us didn't have the same advantages as we did as far as learning technology. Right. And so it takes her longer. It's literally more work for her to learn it. And people are annoyed with her when she's like asking questions about her or doesn't quite understand it. Awful. That's what else we're doing to the older generation of yeah. teachers. We're just pushing them out. Yes. Yeah. And also they're not giving any PD on these things. Not only technology, but when we're changing how we teach, yeah. we're changing what we teach, we're not giving that support. I mean, the rollout of Common Core was a huge issue when that occurred. I think it was in 2008. But now we're looking at SEL, trauma-informed teaching and diversity and equity. But we're not explaining the why. We're not explaining the how to people 
people who've been there. Yeah. And then we get pissed when they're like, this doesn't work, but they don't know how to implement it. Yeah, they're set up for failure in the first place. Absolutely. One thing that you touched on that I want to revisit is data, which is a whole bag within itself. Our kids are the most tested generation to ever exist. And then we wonder why they have mental health issues. Not to mention that data is what is feeding the Pearson conglomerate and just giving them all of our money all the time because they get to make the rules. Mm -hmm. They get to make the books. They get to make the tests and grade the tests and then tell us how well we did on the tests. And then they make money out of creating deficits and only selling books to the schools that can afford it, further demonstrating cyclic poverty at its finest. They don't get any money by all of our students knowing how to read. They don't get money by all of our students knowing how to do math. They get money Mm -hmm. by all of our students failing. Mm -hmm. Like the more kids that fail, that's just a dollar sign to them of a school district or a parent or somebody buying an extra book, paying for an extra online course, Mm -hmm. buying an extra software piece. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, my biggest thing on testing is I'm not anti-assessment, but how the fuck do I use all of this assessment data if all of our time is spent assessing? Would you like me to actually teach them something? Right. Yeah, Yeah, they're going to keep failing if I'm spending half our time assessing them. I think I saw a TikTok on it, so it's definitely not my idea. But she was talking about just how tragic the assessments are to our student population. When in your life are you like told to sit down, Mm -hmm. be quiet, not use any resources, and answer questions within X amount of minutes to judge your competency, which will later be used to give you opportunity? Like, when is that a real thing that exists in the real world, yet we're doing it to our students on a weekly basis in every single class? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I try to talk to my students and be like, these assessments are for me to know what you know so I can be a better teacher and I can help you. And it really quickly turns into students being like, no, this is a judgment of my worth. Yes. Mm -hmm. I see it in kindergarten, but I see it less in kindergarten, obviously. They're five. I know. But they set them up for failure too because they give them these tests on the computer. So they have the Chromebooks and the first map test that we do, the NWEA map test, it's on a Chromebook and they've never seen that before. They're trying to like touch the screen. They think it's like an iPad. Like they don't know what to do. So they fail it. And the reason for that is not student-centered. The reason for that is so admin can see growth throughout the year. They view that as a baseline of what they know. But that's not a baseline for what they know. That's a baseline for a lot of other shit, like their test anxiety and their technological competency. But it has nothing to do with almost anything else. More on just like the inequality of testing brigade. My kids, most of them would take tests on computers. And we have these crappy little laptops where it wouldn't let them zoom in to political cartoons the right way. Like it would distort the image and I was like literally kids that have their own computer are outperforming kids that are using a school district issued computer and just like how violently unequal the technology and then with the data and growth my kids would have to do interim assessments and then they had an EOC at the end of the year but in the middle of the year they would do a mid-year assessment that was like everything we'd covered and it was supposed to kind of be like a predictor what's the EOC and of course the cumulative test of all the history they learned over the year and it also assesses map skills and document skills with stuff that wasn't in the curriculum, which all the kids would be like, I never learned this. I was like, I taught you reading. I taught you reading. Look at me. (laughs) That's what it's like when you have to administer your own standardized test. But anyway, one year, my kids slayed the midterm assessment. And then the reading coach was like, hey, I just wanted to call you in and let you know that they're kind of doing too well. So if they don't show growth by the EOC, then we're going to have to put you on an improvement plan. So she was like, you just need to be really mindful of how you're prepping them. 
because they should be showing growth throughout the year. But I was like, even that doesn't make sense. If we were only assessing skills, that would make sense. But I was like, this is a history class. This test is over topics one to four and the other one is one to eight. Like these two tests might have a little correlation. They're not assessing the same thing. Right. And literally it was like, either the kids were doing too bad and I was an idiot and should be burned at the stake or they're doing too well and I'm definitely cheating. Like those were the two options. Testing is not doing anyone any favors. And Pearson takes it one step further. Like the training programs at Starbucks, I'm pretty sure they're Pearson's. Military entrance exams, I'm pretty sure they're Pearson's. So that means that any school that had access, just like you were talking about with the Chromebooks, to the Pearson style questions ahead of time, those students are naturally going to do better because they've had more time with the same type of material and type of questions and format that they're being tested on. So that means that whatever poverty level they're coming from is then going to affect every opportunity they have thereafter. And the same can be said for the ACT and the SAT. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I could talk to you for freaking the rest <laughs> of my life and never get bored. Military recruiters in public schools are like vultures and it is disgusting. Yes. The way I would see them talk to mm-hmm. the students and I'd be like, hey, if anyone wants to know about the Peace Corps, it is a fascinating program if you're curious. There are other options out there. Like the way they text them, they're like, just so you know, you can make a bonus that could help support your family. I'm like, how is it not illegal for adults to text teenagers like this? Right. Like if a teacher was caught texting a student like this, it would be on the news. Yeah. My partner Cody is a former Marine and so he was recruited like straight out of high school, right? Just to hear about how they like promised to show him the world and promised all of this stuff. Little did he know four years later he'd be on a shift at the burn pits like inhaling toxic fumes while they burn their trash in a desert somewhere that they're not supposed to be. Cody did not sign up for that and so the fact that these recruiters are allowed to just completely over romanticize the military it's awful yeah and kids will believe it yes they're like you're gonna get five hundred thousand dollars and a dodge charger and a wife and the kids are like okay where do i sign because they have teenager brains so they don't know how money works and the world works and like their brain isn't done i grew up in like a really rural area and like you said vultures they make these huge promises you can leave this place like you're gonna go to italy it's gonna be amazing a kid from the middle of nowhere pennsylvania like we all were that sounds like the best thing in the world yeah at the same time the military recruiters are there and they're gonna go to a class in 20 minutes where they will feel like a failure because they're failing these tests that aren't really assessing what they know and they're feeling like well maybe maybe that's the route i should go because maybe i won't make it in college because of course it's not about having a choice-filled future it was always about college college fraz i need you to know that i'm gonna forever steal choice-filled future that's the point of education right is a choice-filled future okay yeah i'm gonna say that all the time i'm Thanks. Write that down. Yeah. Write that down. Happy to share that because when I heard that for the first time, I was like, that is what it's all about. And I never knew how to put it into words. Also, one choice that I think is very slept on that I'm trying to make the trendy choice of 2023 is taking a break after high school and then going to college later. Oh, I did that. Yeah. Because the amount of kids that I've seen that get pressured into picking a major and then senior year, they're like, oh, well, damn, it's kind of too late to turn back now. Mm-hmm. We love a trade program. We love an internship. We love a gap year. Yeah. We love the Peace Corps. I think just your brain is finishing up. Let it do its thing before you invest tons and tons of money and time into something, I think. Yeah, I took a gap year and I changed my major six times. Perfect. And then I graduated with something I don't even use. Perfect. I love it. If we track like my careers, while I was integrated physiology, I was a show 
diver for Casa Bonita, which is probably like where I got my stage presence. Miss R. That's so cool. What even is that? I was also the gorilla. So Casa Bonita, back in the day, it has been taken over by the people of South Park, which (laughs) they're dolls. They're great humans. And they they were always pretty involved with Casa Bonita. So Casa Bonita is a like Mexican restaurant in Denver where there's cliff divers in the middle. It's made to look like Alcopuco, Mexico. And there's also shows like every 15 minutes. So that was a cool job. I'm so glad I did that in college. As soon as I graduated, I was a wedding coordinator. I've managed restaurants and then I was a teacher. I did marketing. My undergrad was integrated physiology. My master's is in education and none of those things like have anything to do with education. It really doesn't matter what kids do with their undergrad and all of that as long as they continue to get the credentials to give them, just as you said, a choice-filled future. It seems like none of it has to do with what you're doing now, but all of it has to do with what you're doing now. Every experience, every Mm -hmm. career path, every major has these experiences that you take little pieces from and put them into what you're doing. It's really kind of amazing. You are a shining example of what I would point to when I say to my students, it doesn't really matter where you go to college what you do in college like do what makes you happy and what you feel like is good yeah what I always tell kids is that the most important thing in college is developing your learning skills and your research skills and like your love of work and I don't mean like I know we don't love working like I'm always the first fucking one to say that I do not dream of labor learning to engage in something in a meaningful way that you care about and working with other people yes because especially when I was leaving teaching and like and interviewing for some jobs almost everywhere asked if I had a bachelor's degree but no one asked to see it no one asked me what my major was no one asked me about my classes or my GPA like it was on my resume but for a lot of jobs every company and every role is so unique like the job I have now is literally just like a smorgasbord of random tasks and like they need to check that box they care more about your experience, your skills, who you are. Whenever kids are freaking out about what to major in, I'm like, find something that you think you are going to be really passionate about. Because if you major in something you don't give a shit about, you're not going to remember anything. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yes. Especially if you have ADHD like me, if it doesn't hold your attention. I say I'm allergic to boring, but I feel like teachers freak out and say, I don't have any skills. I don't know what to do. But teaching is so many hats in one. Teachers have so many skills that are applicable to so many other fields. Mm -hmm. Also, they're There are many paths to being a teacher and there's so much value that you can bring to a classroom from your lived experience and from just doing life. In Florida, all you need is a pulse. Right. Then you have to teach in Florida. The standards are only getting lower as far as what we require out of our educators. Oh my God. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. It's sad. And why do we want that for our public education system? It feels like educating children should be of utmost importance, but it's not. It's never been about educating children. (laughs) It has never been. You're right. It's about putting out more working class. And making money for Pearson. Literally, it's just a Pearson pyramid scheme. The DOE was created to fund Pearson. Yeah. I was just talking to Ann Sutter. I don't know if you guys saw her piece on the New York Times about teacher burnout, but she was talking about how she went to her legislative offices in Indiana and watched as they voted in seconds on legislation that affected every single life. Like they didn't even think about it. People also all the time ask me, why do your crew necks say teaching is political? What does the quote education is a political act mean? Um, (laughs) 
hello. It's all political. You're like, I don't know if you've heard this, but our taxes and our lawmakers are actually in charge of that whole bullshit we got going on. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And teachers and students are pawns in their scheme. Yes. And not to mention, usually it's middle or upper class people that get to go be teachers because they're the only ones that can afford to be broke enough to go be a teacher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Our teachers have to choose to move from middle class to low class to live paycheck to paycheck for their entire lives to be a complete slave to their health insurance to their benefits and to their job and then to say oh you have summers off but in that summertime they can't acquire any sort of real money that could actually like help them in any sort of significant way i'm glad you brought that up because i grew up toggling between middle class and upper middle class and now my parents are like definitively upper class and that was part of it for me was like the lack of income growth of having to look at my parents and be like hey i know you invested like all this time and money into my college education and all of this stuff and like they didn't put pressure on me to make money but like it doesn't feel good as a teacher and as an adult woman with a college degree to have to call my mom and ask for her Amex to buy printer paper. The opportunities that I was given for my parents wanting me to be able to grow my income not being able to do that in any way shape or form absolutely played into my decision making because I was like I deserve to get paid. Like if I was still in the classroom right now I would not be able to pay my rent and I did not move. I have lived in the same apartment since before I started teaching. I know I could sue my school for wrongful termination. Right, but I don't want to spend all that time in courts. Yeah, the lawyers, that's a tough one. Should I sue? Should I not sue? I just think, I was perusing your comment section. I have not watched your YouTube video where you talk about this because I kind of wanted to have a genuine conversation with you. I did. I was going through your comment section and I feel like the like negative comment I'm seeing is like, well, you said that you were going to leave. And I just want to pause right there and say that that doesn't matter at all. The way that it was handled was so abysmal and so unprofessional and so hurtful that I really don't care if you were like, you know what, I'm thinking of leaving because of the situation. The next step is not put your job up, tell you it's not your job, but tell your coworkers that it is. And then ultimately walking you out during your planning and not letting you get your personal things, touching your stuff, thing after thing after thing was mishandled. So if that sends off alarm bells in anybody's head where they're like, well, she said that she was going to leave. Bigger picture, y'all. Bigger picture. Yeah. But we're adults here. (laughs) At the end of the day, like, exactly. Like, even if it truly was just a miscommunication and they really, truly thought you were leaving, that's not how you would handle a miscommunication. If your teacher said that to you and you genuinely thought they were leaving in that moment, you'd be like, let's talk in private. Let's talk after school and ask them to write up their formal resignation. And then in that conversation would discover that this was just a bit of a a rendezvous of words. Yeah. Yeah. Like. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the whole thing I feel was handled so poorly. And what grinds my gears is they were like, okay, we heard that you were telling the kids that's inappropriate, but we want to let you know you're definitely going to get two weeks of notice. So you're going to get to say goodbye. Don't worry. That was three days before they escorted me out. I'm no lawyer, but I would be getting my bag. I literally like I need to go to law school. Like being on this podcast has proved to me that I need to just become a lawyer. So that like you join the podcast, you tell us everything that happened, and then you immediately get invited to a different Zoom. (laughs) And you're in a suit. It's like a smash cut (laughs) under the chilies. I take off the chili sweatshirt and it's a pantsuit and I'm just Barbara Corcoran 
I'm like, let's get him. Dead. <laughs> Recently, I had Eric from Let's Talk Ed Research on my podcast, and he brought up, you know, the work of women is probably not highly respected, and so therefore, we lack rights when it comes to termination. We lack rights when it comes to using the bathroom, payment rights. I've seen cop salaries increase pretty significantly in my area, at least. But teacher salaries, you know, still sitting at 40K. Cops in my city can make triple what teachers make. Yeah, and firefighters. That's pretty standard. Some of it's through, like, overtime and stuff, but still, they can make triple is the the main What's point. overtime? Exactly. 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 That's what they always say. They're like, oh, well, we have to get it in overtime. I'm like, oh, well, I was here for the basketball game till 11 p.m. and got no extra money for that day. Okay. Yep. And how much free labor is almost every school district getting in terms of supervision, giving up your plan because there's a sub shortage. The free labor of teachers is exactly how the school system functions. Yeah. I forget when the trend was people were talking about quiet quitting. The school system would simply collapse. So the union wasn't letting us strike. So the strategy was you work your contract hours and that's it. You don't answer a single email. You don't plan. You don't grade. You do nothing. Don't volunteer. Don't supervise after school. Block the parents. Block the kids. I quiet quit my whole career. I think. <laughs> I love quiet quitting. It's just doing your job. Like, I quiet quit on the first day. Is that not what we were supposed to do? It has to have a name for you to just do what you were hired for. Right. That's so groundbreaking and so crazy, spooky out of this world that we had to give it a nice little branded name and then aggressively shame it on LinkedIn. Okay, so here's what blows my mind. Even though we know that teachers aren't going to professional developments, we dang sure know that that administrators are going to professional developments and they receive training on what people need to be successful and then just like the church parking lot as soon as they leave that training i'm convinced they have no recollection of ever receiving that knowledge in their life i think it's because they get catering so that makes them forget it's the muffins it's the panera this was one of the most iconic moments of my teaching career before graduation there were two rooms there was one for like teachers and then one for district staff of like where to put on your little outfit and leave your bag and just like, have a spot to be and me and my coworker came to the wrong entrance so we accidentally went to the administrator room so we saw theirs first all of their gowns were hung they had a steamer there they had full panera catering we thought it was our room and i was like hell yeah i was like <laughs> finally y'all treating us like we deserve and then they were like that's actually not your room you're down the hall and so i go down the hall our room none of our robes had our correct degrees it said i had a master's from a school that i don't go to we didn't have food one of the teachers had went to costco on her way to get us granola bars because she found out we didn't have any food or coffee and i was like none of y'all while setting the panera up the thought didn't cross your mind for real y'all have a master's degree in yeah. management and we had to be there at the ass crack of dawn to like line the kids up and check their shoes they only had to be there 20 minutes before the ceremony started I was like you don't even have time to eat the Panera so I want to hear more about like the your business now I'm very curious about this yeah so it just started basically it's life coaching and academic support for any humans of any age some of them are teachers some of them are parents some of them are kids who need help with executive functioning or have anxiety around school or kids that are currently getting 
being bullied or just struggle with boundaries or kids that need help with math. So it's really cool to get to apply all my loves and get to work from home. There's such a need for resources right now. So many parents are either doing a hybrid system or they're unschooling, which is a whole vibe right now. I don't know if you guys have read that book yet. Just really trying to develop passions for their kids. So one family was literally like, we'll just talk to them about what they're passionate about and go from there. So I'll open up with FET lab simulations or space simulations. And we just have like open free flowing conversations about physics or the periodic table or the origin of the periodic table. And like, why does K stand for potassium? And you kind of just let the kid dictate the learning. So I'm still definitely a teacher. It's just on my own time for way better pay. And it's going good. I'm excited for the future. Just like to what you were saying earlier, teachers have so many skills that they can use. And there's also such a demand for private tutors. There's such a demand for kids to develop life skills. There's a demand for someone to help them write their resume when they're in college. Those are all skills that a lot of us already have. People are taking education into their own hands because they're seeing how bad the system is failing them and their child, especially if their child has any sort of neurodivergency. The system is not working out. Mm -hmm. The cool part of that is, is there is an extra demand for teachers outside of the classroom that can pay them a lot better and can give them a lot more control over their lives. Yes, and I'm so glad you said that because I feel like as we've been going through this episode, I'm sitting here thinking like, so we're doing a lot of like unloading about the really big things that are wrong with education. I mean, these are some systemic serious issues. I think we've really gotten to the heart of why teachers are leaving. But then I'm thinking, okay, well, what do we do about it? What do we do about it? And I love that you just said parents taking their kids' education into their own hands. I think teachers too. So many opportunities. And if you want to work with kids and you want to teach, you can teach. People ask me a lot. I don't know if I want to be a teacher. What do you think? I'm like, I can't tell you that. Nobody can tell you that. If you want to be a teacher, you better freaking love it because if you don't love it, you like it because you see somebody else doing it and they seem to be enjoying it. Like that's not the vibe we're going to curate in the space. Something that you touched on earlier was creative bandwidth and how much that creative bandwidth increases when you're actually doing something that is fulfilling and that you love. And so us wanting kids to have a choice-filled future means that we want them to be able to dive into that thing that they could create on all day long. SEL and science, like I (laughs) tell my therapist that like people have set themselves on fire for the same passion that I feel like in my heart towards humans and trying to help humans be healthier and trying to help humans develop better habits and communicate better and giving children options and a choice-filled future. I think the biggest chess piece in that is the parent. If we can get parents re-involved in the public education system, invite them back into the conversation instead of, like you said before, redacted, like keeping them out of the classroom. No, we want them in the classroom. We want them completely involved in their child education because that is the only way that things are going to get any better is if the parents step in. Parents, we need you. Mom and dad, we need an adult. We need you in the public education system now. Like the time is now for the parents to really step in and push back and ask for what teachers need, what students need because happy, healthy, high-performing students come from happy, healthy teachers. And unless those teachers are happy and healthy, that is affecting the kids. The high turnover rate, it's affecting the kids. The mental health issues among teachers, that's affecting the kids. Integrating, like you said before, a PBIS system with an older generation of veteran teachers and not expecting them just to completely have martial law within their classroom by reinforcing cultural norms with like positive behavior points or whatever. All of this is drastically affecting 
the future development of America. And like, we need the adults, we need the parents to step in and to help. The healthiest work environments I have ever been in as a teacher are the ones where there is a culture of grown-ups being involved. The stakeholders in children's lives are all there together working for one common cause to help this child to navigate the world in their educational experience. Mm -hmm. And the unhealthiest schools I've ever been a part of have been like, oh, we really don't want parents in here. And it really got exacerbated with COVID. I mean, it made it real easy to be like, oh, can't have volunteers in the room because COVID and it's partially true, but there is other opportunities for involvement that is not all in the classroom. Obviously, we know that, but it's so easy for schools to shut them out. I also think like parent communication and parent involvement is on a spectrum. And I worked in a school with like very little parent communication and very little parent involvement. Definitely our admin was pro that, but we just didn't have the systems in place to do it. So it's not like they were like against parents coming, but it was like really hard to get the approval and the forms were fucked up and like all of that. And I've noticed that when it comes to teacher and parent communication, people are happiest on both ends of the spectrum because when no one knows what's going on with each other, you can't argue. If I'm not talking to you and you're not talking to me and we don't know what's going on with each other, we're probably not gonna have negative feelings about each other because we're not talking. But I actually think you will have more negative feelings about each other. I agree. Especially in elementary school. Yeah, well, I was going to say also, like, from the high school perspective, it's like the parents you never hear from, you have no conflict. The parents you're with all the time, you can build a relationship. But it's that in-between where they get bits and pieces, that's where hate develops. And that's where a negative Mm -hmm. relationship develops, is when I'm hearing a little bit about what's going on, but I don't know you, I don't talk to you, and I don't interact with you. So I'm just hearing things and seeing things and assuming things that are not there, and you're doing the same with me. Because if we have zero interaction at all, we have zero interaction, which is a whole different problem. But I think it's that in between when parents see the bits and pieces and they feel left out and they feel like their opinion isn't being valued. That's terrible for the teacher, the kid, the school, the parent, everybody. And it has to be like that really intense level of relationship building to create, perhaps what you were talking about, that healthy environment where it is a collaboration. Because you can't do that with bits and pieces of info. You have to be in it and fully in it. Yeah, it takes a village. Schools used to be the center of communities, but in the chaos that was COVID, power was reconsolidated in such a way where admin and people above admin got even more say and even more power, and that really took away a lot of voices. I think all of these issues were already issues, but then COVID happened, and it was like taking a magnifying glass to absolutely everything. Mm -hmm. We've said it over and over, I feel like, redacted, like grown-ups get involved. Grown-ups get involved in your kids education in their classrooms with their teacher because that's where the power is yes. clearly don't have any or we wouldn't have this podcast we would have just sent this to someone who listened to us but there was no one listening so here we are yeah and that's the other part administrators and school boards and states and everyone is gonna have to answer to social media for what they're doing mm-hmm. we have a new wave of communication and everybody knows that you are like really hurting the kids right now and you have a whole lot of people who care a whole hell of a lot yeah. who are making noise. We're taking notes. Sometimes note. people misconstrue what's going on. It's like, you're just complaining. I'm so sick of teachers being negative on social media. I don't view it that way. I view it as we need to raise awareness of what's going on so that we can make it better because we didn't become teachers because we hate it. We became teachers because we love education. We love our students. We love teaching, but so much of what we do is not teaching or student-centered. It's interesting that you said that because initially when I got on social media, it was to be like a divinely good force. I really didn't like when I saw teachers like talking smack on kids. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
And teacher quit talk was like in its height, like probably like last year, or I think it's still going on, to be honest. But like, that's why we named this podcast. I think it was a good name. It was a good, good idea. Redacted. Uh (laughs) (laughs) My one Florida State marketing class is carrying us. I hopped onto TikTok to show like what I was doing in the classroom and to give teachers like tips and resources as to like having a better experience. And to be fair, like during that time, I was having a really good experience teaching. I didn't have a ton of like oversight in my classroom. In fact, admin was understaffed. So that kind of meant they were like never really around in the classroom. And then, you know, summer goes on and I continue to build the Miss R project and continue to put out resources for teachers. And I'm going to universities and I have kids who are going to be teachers look at me with starry eyes and say, how's it going? And it was like such a dramatic realization that my social media was not truthful because even though it was spreading such positivity and it was spreading tips and tricks and classroom management, it wasn't telling the other part of the story. And then as soon as I opened my mouth up about the other part of the story, I'm gone. What truly happened, I mean, that nobody's ready to talk about is discrimination because I had a platform. Mm -hmm. I think it's scary a lot of times for people in power to feel like someone that they are used to being shitty to now has power and has a voice they're like "Ooh, don't love the way that feels i'm a little nervous accountability nerves are creeping up radical accountability i'm not a fan of they're like i've encountered it and i i appear to hate it every time so we're not gonna do it well they think they make the accountability right they think that they're the ones that get to deem who should be held accountable for what and as soon as you have a platform they no longer are that person they're like people on the internet have said that i am wrong and i feel bad so i'm not enjoying this but we're calling for transparency we're calling for advocacy we're calling for collaboration really i mean there's nothing i would love more than for administrators and teachers and lawmakers and everyone to just hone it back into the students and really really student center this whole operation but it's it's a corporation i think that starts with ousting pearson and i think a lot of the other big names in education as well a lot of times the most evil companies are the companies with the quote-unquote worst marketing like you don't know who they are they're not the ones selling things in the stores they're the people making money on the back end like the company that charged my school district $315 for my air purifier that I found on the manufacturer website for 110 there's a lot of companies working in the shadows and things like that of like suppliers technology manufacturers like things that you don't think of right away I think the moment that we take away the arbitrary standards and we just start paying more attention to, okay, you have to be able to read and you have to be able to do basic math, but these like weird state standards that barely anyone understands in the first place, I don't know what your history standards look like redacted, but my science standards were like so broad and so hard for even me to understand that it was like, well, I think I'm teaching the right thing. Mine would be like, I can literally name them to you. That's my trauma brain that was like, oh, you need data for you to like me I'll have the best data anyone's seen in their entire life thanks our standards mine would be like fl.ss.912.a which is like Florida social studies 9 through 12 American history and mine would be like cause course and consequences of the civil war and I would have three days to teach that and I was like that I mean cause course and consequence of the civil war that's a lot of things yeah the people making the standards are not the people implementing the standards so I think like it's just so violently unreal 
unrealistic. And like you said, like they're confusing, they're vague, you don't know what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah, they weren't written by someone who ever talked to a child in their life before. They've you know. only talked to the kids of the royal family who are like, I've mastered the achievement yes. score of, like those are the kids they're interacting with. But that's who's setting your kid up for failure. Like the royal family person. Oh yeah, <laughs> let's blame them. No, it's, it's this probably random admin in an office that has a gazillion other things on their plate that gets paid $70,000 a year that their boss at the Department of Ed who doesn't give a fuck said, hey, can you write the third grade standards for this year? And they spent less than a week on it. For sure. Like everyone's a victim except the governor in this scenario, I guess. Yeah, except Pearson who makes money when we fail it because then they can be like, oh my God, you guys did so bad. You know what you could use to get better? This book. And we're like, we bought that book last year. And they're like, no, it's going to be better this time. They're like, we made a different version. This one's purple. (laughs) Purple and way more disorganized than it ever was before. That was like something else that happened. They got disorganized. They were like, this one doesn't have a table of contents. So it's actually perfect and better. Yep. It's like they're not even pretending to try anymore. They don't have to. No. It's the boomers. They don't understand that we're interconnected now. They still think they can get away with all of these secrets. I mean, look at the documentaries that are consistently coming out. The boomer generation did not understand that we would all be able to figure it out and eventually the jig is gonna be up we're gonna get someone i'm convinced like on our side who's just been in law school who's watched their family or brother or whoever get ousted by the public education system they're gonna listen to this podcast or another one or see something online and be like you know what you know who needs to pay pearson and then we're going to be in a documentary and it's going to be great, guys. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait to be in the documentary about Pearson and its downfall. But if anyone at Pearson wants to just come over to the dark side slash the good side. Whistleblow? Come on yeah. the podcast? Come on the podcast? You know in the movies where they put, it's like the the little silhouette and they're like, so and I was where, and they like make the voice super like weird. I can do that in post. If you work at Pearson. <laughs> I'm pretty sure people who work at Pearson don't understand what they're doing. It's like the pie in the sky. There's so many other factors going into Pearson making money off of everything that only the people at the top understand what a crime to our public education system is like And as an admin in a very large company, I often do work that I don't know the meaning behind and often scan documents that I'm like, I don't know what that means, but this person told me to scan it and put it here, so whatever. So I think you're totally right that the people writing their curriculum, those team of people are not the villain. It's the people at the top who know exactly where the connections are being made, the people that have the phone numbers of the people that make education policy. It's not the people that are making 50, 60, 70, whatever thousand dollars a year in an admin job that are like the conspiracy behind this. Yeah. The hard part is the education system is just death by a thousand paper cuts right now. This is a great app. I feel like we literally like put put us in the White House because we fixed it. Yeah. We are clowns and this is the circus. Pearson's the ringmaster. They are. It's true. It's true. Thank you guys for joining us on Teacher Quit Talk. Rate, review, live, laugh, love. Only if you have nice things to say. Only if you have nice things to say. Only if you are in a good mood, yeah. live, laugh, and review. If you are in a bad mood, I hope it improves and forget you ever listen to this. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, Miss R. We love ya.
You guys are wonderful. I hope this isn't the last time we talk. And if you guys ever want to come on 50 States, 50 Takes, let me know. We'd love some perspectives on your states. I'll be there. You just tell me when. Like I said earlier, I literally could talk to you for 300 hours. So You make me feel so special. No, it's true, the though. The synergy on this podcast, it was like idea, problem, better idea, fix it, discovered other problem, fixed it, new place, bus, club, another club. Pierce it. What? Okay. Bus, club, person <laughs> headquarters. Plane. Next place. Just as a disclaimer, because I am someone who is actively teaching, everything on this podcast is my personal opinion and does not reflect my district, my state, my employer, my students, or my admin. Everything on this podcast was recorded on personal time, on personal equipment, and is a completely separate endeavor from my school district. Yeah, leave her alone.